Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know this because we've all done things or said things in our past that we are not particularly proud of. And even though that we've asked the Lord to forgive us for these things, somehow they still seem to crop up in our minds, causing us to doubt our faith, doubt that we are truly forgiven, and doubt who we are in Christ. We walk around with feelings of guilt from our past, and these feelings affect our everyday thoughts and emotions and actions, and they put a strain on the relationships in our lives. We know in our hearts that the Lord has forgiven us, but our minds just can't seem to let it go. Today, we're chatting about God's forgiveness, the enemy's role in not letting us move past our mistakes, and how we can be free from guilt once and for all. Let's get started. Welcome to the Faith Lived Out podcast. Are you wanting a loving Christian marriage but are unsure what that looks like or how to get it? Do you have fears about becoming a submissive wife, afraid that you'll lose your identity or become a doormat? Do you have thoughts that maybe you're doing this whole wife and marriage thing all wrong and you want to know how to do it right, to stop worrying all the time and to learn how to truly put your faith and trust in the Lord? Hey girl, I'm Nancy Adamson, wife, mom, and Grammy to seven sweet babies, Christian mentor, Bible teacher, speaker, and women's ministry leader. I see you and I get you because I've been there, and I'm here to share with you what God has taught me on how to have a loving biblical marriage and what the true meaning of being a submissive wife really looks like. We'll also chat about how to find wisdom and truth for life's challenging questions in His Word, how to apply God's truth to our lives, and to put the cares and concerns that are on your heart safely in the Father's hands. So if you're ready to learn how to live out your faith every day and follow the amazing plan that God has for your marriage, grab your coffee, pull up a chair next to mine, and let's get started. As believers, we know that we're sinners. It's why we saw a need for a Savior and asked Jesus to forgive us in the first place. We also know that everyone sins, so we're not alone in this. We've been taught that Jesus came to forgive us of our sins, but for some reason, we tend to think that maybe our sins are a little bit different than everyone else's. They seem to be a little bit worse to us in some way, and we can't quite feel truly forgiven for them and to let them go. We're constantly reminded, reminded of how awful our behavior was or our thoughts were at the moment. We feel guilty, unworthy of love or friendship from others, and that even though we know that we have Christ's righteousness, we still only see ourselves as bad people in the midst of the godly. But it doesn't have to be this way. As a matter of fact, it shouldn't be this way. Have we all sinned in the past? Yes. Do we still sin as believers? Unfortunately, yes. Are we to be weighed down by sin and not to ever let it go? Absolutely not. To help us finally let go of our sin, let's first take a look at what God's Word says about forgiveness and some examples of how Jesus forgave others. 
So in Psalm 86, 5, it says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. So as we read here, we know that the Lord is good and he's ready to forgive. Jesus desires to forgive us. It's what he came for. He tells us over and over again in his word that we are to confess our sins to him and to be forgiven. He gives us many examples in scriptures of those that he forgave. Tax collectors, thieves, prostitutes, adulterers, and more. All of these people he forgave of their sin and he has forgiven you and I of our sin as well. It also tells us that he is abundant in mercy. Mercy is us not receiving the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And this includes the guilty feelings that we carry around, like some heavy burden that we can't ever let go. Christ's mercy is abundant. It never runs out. We cannot go to him too often and ask for forgiveness. We will never go to him and have him say, sorry, your mercy's all gone. You're done. That doesn't happen. The Lord's mercy is abundant and he will always forgive us. And then lastly, it tells us that he forgives all those who call upon him. Forgiveness is not just for some, but for everyone who believes and calls on his name. We cannot work or earn our forgiveness. It is freely given to us by simply laying our sins at his feet and asking for him to take away that penalty asking for his forgiveness. And then in 1 John 1, 9, we read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let me ask you something. If you are feeling that you are not forgiven for something that you have done in your past, have you confessed it to Jesus? Have you laid it at his feet? Or are you trying to hide it from him because you're too shameful to even admit that you did it? Well, ladies, he already knows. God is all-knowing. He knows all that you have done. He's just waiting for you to bring it to him and to ask him to forgive you and allow him to show you that grace and mercy that he has for you, that love that he desires to give you. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You can wholeheartedly believe in this promise that if you have brought your sin to the Lord, if you have laid it at his feet and asked him to forgive you, you are 100% forgiven because he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, not some, not most, but all unrighteousness. There's no sin that is too heinous to be forgiven, or there's no limit to how many times we can come to the Lord. Like I said, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I cannot say that enough. Another important thing to realize about sin is that Jesus convicts us of our sin, but he does not condemn us. So to understand what I mean, let's take a look at Jesus's encounter with the woman at the well. And this is where Jesus is speaking to her about the living water when they're in Samaria and they're at the well. And in their conversation, this is what is said. And it's in John 4, 16 and 19. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. 
Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Then the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So when Jesus asked her to bring her husband, he knew what her situation was. He didn't point this out to her, point out her sin to her so that he could condemn her, but he pointed it out to her so that she could understand who he was and the fact that he knew about her life and that he could show her her need for a savior. And she then goes and gets the whole town to come out to the well and to meet Jesus. And in John 4, 39, we read, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. I don't know about you, but that seems a little bit scary for Jesus to sit down and tell me all that I've ever did. Like, it's a lot and it's not all good. But he obviously didn't have condemnation for her because otherwise she would not have gone to get all of those people and to bring them back down to the well. I mean, who wants to say, hey, come and be condemned like me, right? But she saw her sin. She saw her need for a savior. She saw Jesus's love and willingness to forgive. That's what made her bring those people to the well. Another example is a woman who is caught in adultery, and we read about this in John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11, and it says, Now early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So see, once again, Jesus does not condemn her. He does not shame her for her actions, but tells her to go and sin no more. Also in this verse, we see that those who heard it were convicted by their conscience. And this is what Christ does. He points out our sin to us to convict us of our sin and bring us to a point of repentance so that we will come to him, that we will see our need for a savior, and that we will ask him for forgiveness. But there's a difference in convicting and condemning someone. So to be convicted, I looked it up in the dictionary for us, and it means that we have been found guilty of wrongdoing. One definition said, convinced of error or sinfulness. 
So we are convicted when we recognize that we have sinned, at which point hopefully we repent and ask for forgiveness from God and from the person that we've sinned against. Condemned, however, is defined as declared to be reprehensible, wrong, evil, pronounced guilty, and sentenced to punishment. So where conviction focuses more on the sinful act, condemnation focuses more on the sinful person, on that person itself being wrong or evil or reprehensible. So those feelings of condemnation that you have, those thoughts that you're a bad person or a bad wife, etc., they did not come from God. In John 3.17, we read, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Our Heavenly Father, out of his love for us, causes us to recognize our sin and therefore our need for a Savior and our need to change and to become more like Christ. He didn't come to tell us that we were all sinners deserving of death, and even though we are this, but just so that we can continually feel guilty and bad about ourselves. He came to save us from our sin, to pay that penalty for us, and to give us eternal life with him free from sin. So in John 10.10, it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So God's desire for you is to not to live in condemnation, but to have the abundant life that he has planned for you. So then where does this condemnation come from? Well, it comes from the enemy and he does it to us over and over and over again. He does it by reminding us of our sins and telling us, look at what you did. You're just bad. You're just evil. You're no good. How can anyone like you? Or how can somebody love you? Have you ever heard these words in your head? Had these thoughts of, if people really knew me, if they found out what I had done in my past, that they wouldn't like me? Thoughts of, look what you did. You're a bad wife. You're a terrible mom. Or you're the worst friend. I have had some of these thoughts and I was starting to believe them. And fortunately, I went to a women's retreat and I went and, and listened to a woman by the name of Marilyn Hevelin. And she's written a book called Lord, I'm Listening. And it's all about these things and how the enemy speaks to you. And at that time, I didn't realize that those thoughts in my head were the enemy trying to get me to feel bad, trying to to suppress me and get me to not live for Christ, to get me to not be a good mom, to not teach Bible study, but to make me feel like I was doing it all wrong. And I wasn't. He was just trying to feed these lies to me and to remind me of mistakes that I had made to make me think that I was no good. And that was not the truth. In Ephesians 6.12, it tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The enemy is after us all the time, especially if we are making strides to make our marriage better, if we're making strides to be a Christ-like wife and person and to raise our kids in the Lord, he is definitely going to be there trying to stop you or deter you in some way. 
So he is always after us, looking for ways to make us doubt our salvation, doubt our forgiveness and who we are in Christ, which is why we are given that full armor of God to protect us and to help us to fight this battle. And we are going to go over the pieces of um, God's armor for us in a future episode. But right now, I just want to focus on letting go of our sin and truly feeling that forgiveness. We start this by not believing the lie, not believing all the thoughts of condemnation that come into our head, recognizing that they are the fiery darts from the enemy and that we are to quench them with the truth. Here's another thing. The enemy often uses what is taught in psychology or in society to achieve his goal in condemning us and making us feel that this is just the way we are and we can never change. This is accomplished when people are given a diagnostic label for their personality traits or for their behavior. And we're told that it's just the way we are because of X, you know, whatever it happens to be. And we're given this diagnosis and have, and that we have some kind of issue. And don't get me wrong. I am in in no way discounting the effects of our past and how we have been hurt by our past probably, or the effects of our upbringing or our own sinful desires that we wrestle with in our lives. I have had to deal with some of these very same things in my own life. But what I want to point out is that we are led to believe that this is how we are now and that we can't change. We can't move forward. We can never be free from this. And now we can never be happy or quote unquote normal. And that is a lie. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell to keep you from the abundant life and joy that God has for you. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So the enemy uses this labeling of our sinful nature, our sinful behavior, as a way we can cover up our sins and not bring them to the Lord. He convinces us that our actions are because of how we are, because of our upbringing, because of something that has happened to us in our past, and they're not our fault that we're not responsible for them. And if they're not our fault and we're not responsible for them, then we don't need to take them to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. It's just the way we are. Or we can take them to the Lord and we can ask him for forgiveness, but God can't change us. Even he is not big enough to heal us or change us. And ladies, that is a lie. If you do not hear anything else that I say today, and I don't take to heart anything else, then please believe this. As a believer, you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Our God is mighty. He is powerful and he absolutely has the ability and the will and he wants to heal our hurts and to give us a new heart and to give us a new beginning and a new future and to forgive us of our sins. Whatever has happened to you in the past, whatever you have done in your past, whatever personality traits that you may have that are not of God, you do not have to live with them forever. He can change you. He can heal you. He can bring you to that abundant life. We need to bring it to the Lord. We need to lay it at his feet, ask for his forgiveness and his healing 
and to help us change to become more like him. As a believer, you are forgiven and you absolutely can let go of the guilt and the hurt and be free. Let's go through some steps that will help you do this. As we read earlier in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So step one is to recognize our sin, that we are responsible for our own actions, no matter what kind of reasoning or excuse then we could possibly put behind it, no matter our upbringing, our past hurts, we are responsible for the person that we are today. We are the ones who choose. If we are going to blame our past and not change, or if we are going to be willing to work to become more like Christ. So the first step is to recognize our own sin, that it's ours, we're responsible for it, and to own it. Step number two is confess your sin to Jesus. Just lay it at his feet. Tell him all about it. Tell him how sorry you are for what has happened. Repent of it and that you want to have a new heart and you want to have a changed desire because you want to be more like Christ. And like I said before, he already knows. He knows exactly what you've done and you're not going to surprise him. So go ahead and tell him he knows all that we have ever done, but he just wants you to bring it to him and to lay it at his feet and to just tell him about it. And then step number three is to ask for forgiveness. Just repent of that sin and say, Lord, forgive me, change my heart, make me different, make me more like you. And I know that these steps may seem remedial because we all did this when we became believers, but I think that sometimes because of the distractions in our lives or the fact that we know all too well that the Lord does forgive us, that we miss doing the individual steps of asking for forgiveness when we come to the Lord in prayer. And we may be confessing our sins and saying, yes, I did this, but are we repenting of it? And are we specifically asking for God to forgive us? When we don't do this, this is an in for the enemy to come and make us doubt that we have been forgiven. So here are some helpful tips to be able to help you with this. And the first one is to write out your confession and your request for forgiveness. Like write it in a journal that you can refer back to and look at. And then this way, when the enemy tries to make you doubt your forgiveness, then you can go back and you can remember it, or you can go back and read what you have written and say, no, I have completed these steps. I believe in God's promise that he has forgiven me and I am forgiven. So combat that lie with the truth. The next one is to confess your sin to someone else. In James 5.16, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The enemy likes secrets. He likes us to have secrets in our lives. And we, when we take those secrets and we tell somebody, then he seems to lose his power over them. When we confess it to someone else and we no longer have this secret in our lives, then he can't come to us and say, I know what you did, even though everybody else doesn't. 
when we know in our hearts that someone else knows what we've done, that we are no longer afraid to be shunned or shamed because we're not alone and we're not alone in sin. All of us have sinned. And just like that woman that was caught in adultery, there was no one there who was not convicted of sin and able to throw a stone at her. And it's the same thing with those who are around, who are around us. I know some of them seem very righteous, but trust me, no one is without sin. I do, however, want to warn you or advise you to choose this person wisely. I recommend that you would choose a mature woman in the faith, somebody who will pray with you and will keep this information to herself. And please know that you are always welcome to talk to me. If you want to send me an email or set up a time that we can chat together on the phone, just contact me. I'm always here for you and would be happy to just talk to you about this and to pray with you about this. I have done this myself. I have had sins or hurts that enemy just kept coming at me with them and kept coming at me with them. And in order for me to be able to stop this, I had to go and seek a friend and talk to her and confess this sin to her. And we prayed together and it is an amazing release. Like I was even surprised as to how quickly the enemy backed down. And I don't have those thoughts anymore. I don't have those things where he's, you know, telling me that I'm a bad mom or a bad wife or that sort of thing. So it does work and we do not have to carry these burdens any longer. And step four is to remind yourself of the truth. Remind yourself of the promises in 1 John 1, 9 and Psalm 86, 5. And both these verse references will be in the show notes. But remind yourself of these things. And if you choose to write out your confession, confession, then also write out the promise of forgiveness that goes with it as well. Isaiah 118 tells us, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they were red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In Hebrews 8.12, it tells us, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. These are promises from the Lord, promises to take our sin away and to wash us white as snow, promises that he is merciful to us and that he remembers our sin no more. Remember these promises, claim them over your life, pray them anytime that you are feeling condemned for your sin, anytime that the enemy is reminding you of what you have done and calling you bad or unrighteous or unworthy, pray these promises and shut him up. Knowing that when Jesus washes you white as snow, you are truly cleansed from all unrighteousness. And if God is merciful and remembers your sin no more, there is no reason for you to remember it or to hold on to it. And I know that this sounds so much easier than done. And I assure you, if you follow God's word and you practice these things, you will be free. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, O Lord, you are a mighty, mighty God who loves us, who cares for us, who sent his son to die on the cross and to pay the penalty for our sin. 
that we could come to you, that we could lay that sin at your feet, that we could repent of it, that we could tell you that we are sorry and that we want to change. And Lord, that you grant us forgiveness. You have paid the penalty. You do not want us to live in the bondage of our sin, which is why you came to grant us forgiveness for it. Lord, I pray for each and every one of these ladies who are listening, that you will wrap your arms around them, Lord, that they can feel your love and your strength and your peace and your forgiveness, Lord, that they will come to you and that they will lay their burdens and that they're their confessions at your feet, Lord, and that they will not be afraid, that they will not be shameful, Lord, but that they will lay them at your feet, repent of them and ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, that they will believe your promises, not to hold on to these burdens, Lord, not to blame them on somebody else, not to make it to where it's because of their past or their hurts or whatever the case may be, but Lord, that they will own it, that they will trust you, that you can heal them, that you can make this change in their heart and in their life, and that you can give them the abundant life that you came here to give them. Lord, I just ask that you would be with each and every one of them. I just pray over them, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. I pray that God has used this episode to bless and inspire you to live out your faith in Him. If it has, please do me a huge favor by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. This is the only way that I know if you like the show and you will be helping others to find this podcast and be lifted up by the Word of God. Is there someone who came to mind while you were listening today and you said, Ooh, she needs to hear this. Well, then send her the link so she can be encouraged too. Are you in the Dallas area and looking for a fresh new speaker to add excitement to your next luncheon, women's retreat, or other women's event? then drop me a note at nancy at faithlivedout.com and let's chat about it. That's nancy, N-A-N-C-I, at faithlivedout.com. I would love to come and meet with you and the ladies in your group. You're also welcome to visit the website at faithlivedout.com for more information, blog posts, journaling ideas, and free printables or become a part of our little community of believers by joining the Faith Lived Out community group on Facebook, where you can join together with other faith-led wives and moms just like you. Links to these areas and the scripture references used in today's episode are in the show notes. Ladies, thank you again for listening today, and know that I am praying for God to be with you as you learn to trust in Him more and to live out your faith every day. God bless you and see you on the next episode.